Welcome to the Cell Culture Dish podcast. Using 3D cell-based human liver microtissue models for predicting adverse effects caused by chronic exposure to engineered nanomaterials. I'm Brandi Sargent, editor of the Cell Culture Dish. Joining me today is Dr. Shireen Doak, professor of genotoxicology and cancer at Swansea University Medical School, and Dr. Wolfgang Moritz, co-founder and head of external collaborations and IP at Insphero. I wanted to start by talking about a recent Scientific Reports article. In the article, 3D cell-based liver models were evaluated in predicting adverse effects caused by chronic exposure to engineered nanomaterials. Could you please explain how one might be exposed to engineered nanomaterial? Engineered nanomaterials have got unique physical and chemical features which provide improved properties such as greater reactivity, greater strength, improved electrical characteristics and functionalities over and above many of the standard materials that we use in manufacturing today. As a result, these beneficial properties have led to nanomaterials being incorporated into a wide range of consumer products that are already being sold globally. This includes improved products in industries such as the automotive sector, where we have scratch-resistant paints and tires that are harder wearing. In the computing and electronic industries, nanomaterials provide us with more conductive yet smaller components. And then you have plenty of examples in the cosmetics and the sporting sectors where we have equipment such as tennis rackets that are much more durable, yet lighter as a result of the incorporation of engineered nanomaterials into the manufacturing processes. And could you tell us a little bit about why new toxicity tests are needed for nanomaterials? Well, as with any new product, whether they're on the nanoscale or not, safety assessment is part of ongoing successful product development. Um, The ability to be able to conduct accurate safety assessments in a timely and cost-effective manner is really important, but this can be more challenging with nanomaterial-based products as we're aware that the standard safety testing framework is not wholly appropriate and it still relies heavily on testing in animals. Um, Another important factor is that standard tests do not predict the effects of long-term exposure as they primarily focus on short-term exposure durations which doesn't really represent um, real-life situations particularly well. This is of significance when you consider that nanomaterials tend not to always break down. Um, So that means that there's a strong need to develop improved safety testing tools that are better tailored to evaluate nanomaterials in order to reduce the need for animal-based testing. I know that there are hepatic toxicology models currently available. Can you explain what the challenges are with these models? Yes, I, I will do that. So it's it's really today's gold standard to investigate potential adverse effects by nanomaterials or, and still will be, at least in part, uh, in vivo tests mainly performed with mice and rats, which of course are of ethical concern. Uh, not to mention, actually, also doubts arising from limited translatability to humans. Animal studies are inherently expensive and, and time-consuming. So major advances, advances have been made, actually, in developing cell-based in vitro models over the past decade, which are well suited to address specific questions with regard to nanotoxicological effects. 
However, as these in vitro tests mostly rely on monoculture, meaning that only one cell type represents a given organ, there are still certain shortcomings when adverse effects are mediated by the concerted action of different cell types. For example, uh, there's ample evidence that immune cells are involved in dealing with xenobiotics exposure, initiating a detoxification and healing process. So the liver is a perfect example of such a first line of defense represented by the resident macrophages, so-called Cooper cells, which orchestrate a complex interplay between the different liver cells to cope with foreign substances or particulates. Unfortunately, conventional 2D culture formats can't mimic this complex interplay between the different cell types represented in an organ. Moreover, liver cells cultured on petal dishes lose their metabolic function within a few days as the plastic underneath to which they are attached to does not reflect really their natural environment. Thus, Conventional hepatocyte culture formats do not allow to apply long-term exposure schemes, which are more relevant in the context of nanomaterial safety. Wolfgang, could you tell us a little bit about the 3D cell-based human liver microtissue model that was used in the study? Yes, of course. Uh, the 3D human liver models, uh, is, I mean, the, the model is exactly addressing the shortcomings I was mentioning before of conventional 2D liver cultures by promoting the self-organization of the different liver-specific cell types, mainly hepatocytes, cupper cells, endothelial cells, and stellate cells in order to form a microliver, so to say, represented by a spherical-shaped microtissue, as we call it. The model is composed of primary liver cells isolated from donor organs, which did not qualify for organ transplantation. Uh, cell lots are obtained from commercial vendors and tested for their suitability for 3D culture and maintenance of liver typic function over extended culture time of up to four weeks. The long-term stability of 3D liver microtissues now enables us more extended chronic exposures to investigate long-term effects of compounds or nanomaterials. The inclusion of all these relevant cell types confer full competency regarding external cues such as nutritional states, exposure to metabolites, drug or other xenobiotics, triggering an, an adaptive process by altering cell metabolism, detoxification or immune response. My audience will be really interested in the culturing of these tissue models as well. Could you explain how they're produced? Of course. Yeah, this is really a very, how do you say, developed process, which which took us a couple of years to to optimize that. But the levered microtissue is actually around 0.2 to 0.3 millimeter in diameter and composed of a few thousand cells. So each so each microtissue is uniform in composition and size as they are produced from the cell suspension mix. Um, so feeding the cells into a non-adherent cell culture plate, we take advantage of the cell's inherent competence to self-organize into a small tissue which preserves the fundamental architecture of, of a liver, which allows maximal crosstalk between the different cell types I mentioned. Uh, which are represented in the liver. So the production is performed on a proprietary standard format 
96 or 384 microvalve plate, uh, the Acura 96 or Acura 384 valve plate, which are compatible for automated processing by standard liquid handling system, which makes it a highly scalable process. Shireen, I wanted to go back and, and ask you if you could provide us with a summary of the results of the study that was published. The scientific reports paper was the result of a close collaboration between Wolfgang and his team at Sphero, together with Harriet Watt University in Edinburgh, where Ali Kamandazea conducted the research led by Professor Vicky Stone. Um, the paper focused on evaluating the use of 3D human liver microtissue models engineered by Insfero for predicting potential adverse effects caused by long-term exposure to engineered nanomaterials within a cell culture setting. In the study, several different liver tissue models were compared that contained either one cell type or multiple cell types, including immune cup for cells. And the model with a single cell type consisted of primary human hepatocytes, whilst the other 3D human liver microtissues evaluated consisted of those primary hepatocytes co-cultured with cup for cells, the, the resident macrophages, as you've just heard, and liver endothelial cells. And these are the three liver cell types that really cooperated, eliminating toxins and particulates from the body. Typically, um, standard safety tests are conducted over a 24-hour exposure period only when using cultured cells. But because these physiologically relevant and longer-lived um, liver microtissues provide a more realistic model of human response, they can be grown in the lab for up to four weeks in culture. So these microtissues are really quite ideal in terms of applying in the evaluation of nanomaterial exposure over long-term periods of, of up to five days. So in the study, we used several different nanomaterials that we know have the capacity to cause toxicity via varying mechanisms so that we could evaluate the predictivity and the behavior of the 3D liver models towards them. And the study confirmed that the human liver microtissues were suitable for hazard assessment in response to long-term nanomaterial exposure. And within the study, we noted that it was important to have multiple cell types included in the microtissue because those were the models that really demonstrated greater sensitivity. And this is because the Kupfer cells, um, which are responsible for governing the hepatic immune response, were really quite crucial in dictating hepatic toxicity following exposure to the nanomaterials. So this research um, therefore illustrated the value of using more realistic 3D primary human um, liver microtissue models to provide a better understanding of nanomaterial safety. There has been a lot of discussion around the need for more physiologically relevant 3D models across many applications. I was hoping you could tell us about some of the other uses you have planned for the human liver microtissue models, Wolfgang. Yes, uh, as, as these 3D liver microtissues fulfill actually four major requirements, which are key to successful in vitro studies, both for efficacy testing and hazard assessment, like standardization to generate uniform microtissues with identical size and cellular composition, but also the organotypic cellular composition, which enhances the biological relevance, and the long-term stability, which enables more realistic exposure scenarios with or paired to, with the scalability for high-throughput screening. So we already exploit these advantages for different applications in the field of hazard assessment and investigate 
and investigative toxicology for pharmaceutical and chemical compounds, including nanomaterials, where acute and more chronic repeated dose toxicity studies are conducted. We recently started also to develop disease models simulating different stages of a deteriorating liver as a consequence of high-fat, high-carbohydrate diet, representing the clinical features of fatty liver or non-alcoholic steatohepatitis and liver fibrosis. Such models will be helpful in the future also to decipher the pathogenesis of common liver disease and a valuable, will be a valuable tool to investigate the therapeutic potency of drug candidates. Further developments are the implementation of human liver microtissues into a fluidic device, which allows the interconnection of different organ-specific microtissues, such as pancreatic islets or fat tissues, to study sort of cross-organ interactions by paracrine stimulation, particularly in the context of metabolic diseases. And could you tell us a little bit about how you see these models being used in the biopharmaceutical space? So these are all ongoing developments where we also see quite a, a need uh, and um, a pull uh, from the market actually as such uh, more complex uh, in vitro systems do not exist or they at least haven't reached uh, the level of, of uh, industrial implementation yet. I want to thank both of you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it and I really think this is a very interesting area to discuss both nanomaterials as well as the 3D liver microtissue models. Um, I wanted to close by asking if either of you had anything else that you would like to add for our listeners today. Yeah, I mean, the complexity of, of these liver microtissues manifested by the 3D configuration and uh, the composition with all the relevant liver cells and the ability to tune its metabolic state represents one of the most advanced in vitro liver models amenable to implement into standard lab automation for high throughput screening for almost all stages of the drug development process. So we see it actually uh, to be used actually in early phases uh, starting from target identification over target validation up to lead optimization and hazard assessment. Of course, new advances, uh, advanced technologies such as RNA-seq and, and, and deep learning procedures will further help to exploit the full potential of such in vitro models to stratify and accelerate drug discovery and risk assessment. Um, so I'd just briefly like to add that this research was conducted as part of a 12 million euro project called Patrols, which has been generous, generously funded by the European Commission and within the patrols project, the primary aim is the development of more realistic next generation culture systems that allow us to move away from the need to test nanomaterials in animals. Um, so aside from liver models, we're also developing advanced lung, uh, gastrointestinal tract and environmental test systems to more accurately predict the adverse effects caused by long-term nanomaterial exposure. So if you'd like to learn a little bit more about the project as a whole, um, as well as keeping an eye on, on upcoming activities and developments within the project, then please do visit our website, which you'll find at www.patrols-h2020.eu. That's terrific. And I'll make sure that I put that link into our show notes so that readers can access it uh, very easily. 
thank you so much for your time today. This was really, really interesting. And, and we're really excited to see 3D models being used uh, more and more. And I think this is a really important development. So thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Cell Culture Dish podcast. To learn more about this and other stem cell and biomanufacturing related topics, please visit us at www.cellculturedish.com or for downstream biomanufacturing topics, www.downstreamcolumn.com.